and welcome to Noise Creators episode 14. This week I'm here with the super, super talented Mark McCluskey. Mark is a badass. He's based out of New York just like me. Funny enough, we've never met, but we're going to change that soon. Um, Mark has worked with groups like Weezer, Let Live, Ludo, Everclear, Motion City Soundtrack, Hit the Lights. He does killer work and you really get to know in this episode that he knows his shit. He just totally has that knowledge that I don't hear come from a lot of young people. I hear it come from people who've been making records and killing it around great creators. And he really, he gets it. And I think you'll hear that in what you're about to hear from us. So when you get done with this episode, head over to his Noise Careers profile. Check out his credits, his bio, his Spotify playlist. And get to know Mark a little better. I think that we have a great conversation. And this is a, a rad talk and you should get to know him better. Check it out. Hey, one second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones. And if you're one of the best ones, we're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. So what's your chain for recording your voice today? So I'm using a manly cardioid. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> going overboard? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I have that beautiful booming baritone, so, you know, nice. the lady's got to love it. <laughs> and then that's going into an Apollo 8 interface, and then there's nothing on that. It's just, uh, you know, straight in. Nice, nice. So tell me about your background in music. Probably like most people, I, I started uh, irritating my parents when I was a very young age, banging on things. And I was a a absolutely obsessed with Huey Lewis and the News, and I really wanted to play saxophone. Apparently, in whatever, 1983 or whatever that was, uh, that was a popular choice for a lot of people. So they had too many people that wanted to play saxophone, so they put me on the clarinet. So I started playing clarinet for whatever elementary school band or whatever. And then eventually I got to play the saxophone. So uh, all through middle school, played saxophone, played a number of different instruments. And I started playing drums during that time, mostly because I wanted to start a band. And I started writing songs on guitar, but uh, nobody wanted to play drums. So <laughs> I was like, all right, I guess I'll be the drummer. <laughs> so... Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. so I started playing drums and then started writing songs, started uh, recording them. When I was probably 13 or 14, I would get like a boom, but my mom's boom box and the band that I was in, I would like move it around in the garage until I got like a good sound. And then that 
turned into uh, a four track. Uh, and then I just started, oh, and our band's PA. Actually, that's what happened after that. Before the four track, after the stereo, I, I used our band's PA and I figured you could hook the RCA outs into the RCA ins of the boom box and use that as like a stereo tape deck. So I would mic up mm-hmm. my drums, I would mic up the guitar, and we would all play live. And I would mix it on the PA and just play the same song over and over again, do little tweaks until like it would sound okay. And then, uh, yeah, so I was, like, really interested in doing this stuff ever since I was a little kid. Nice. And, uh, yeah, the, and it's the, the, the funny thing, is, like, I do think about it is, like, it, you know, that learning to cross all these wires and all that stuff, it's like it, did get, it does give a nice imprint on you of learning how to do oh, yeah. all this stuff. That I think, think that uh, I, f- I feel very glad for the kids in some ways. They don't have to go through that, and then I'm kind of glad oh, I didn't I, have to go I, through I it think, sometimes. Yeah, like right now, like because you're like like uh, amp simulators and all that stuff. Like I, I remember mm. the first time I heard like Dookie, and I was like completely mm-hmm. obsessed with that guitar sound. I was like, holy shit, how the hell did they get that guitar sound? So I would just sit there for hours with like whatever crappy mm. Radio Shack mic I had. And, you know, crappy. <laughs> I hope not yeah, that exactly. PZM. And, like, some crappy, you know, <laughs> amp, you know, already with crappy guitars. And I sat there for hours just moving mics around to try to, like, match it. You know, that's the thing is kids today, I, I, I probably sound like an old guy. But, like, you know, they, well, I don't, I'm not a very tactful person, but a lot of them don't know what they're doing, you know. Uh like they mm-hmm, yeah, they don't totally. know they just know if I plug this thing in hey it sounds good uh, you know because of the plugin mm-hmm. makes it sound good but if you ever put them in an environment where you're like okay now you got to get your sound not the sound that they got for you yes I I think that's where they run into these problems yes having yeah. the background that you know why all this stuff works and the little things it does it, it makes a big difference when the curveballs oh, are thrown at you that you can do that you can do it whereas like. You could stay in a safe place where it's just within yeah. the computer. Yeah, oh, I, I agree. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, for me, I like to do quick little workflow things like amp simulators and that stuff is great. However, I'm the kind of person that likes, like, whenever I started getting into songwriting, what, like, my whole, like, the taxonomy of, like, how I would, like, discover things would be like, okay, I like Green Day. What did Green Day like? Mm-hmm. Okay, Green Day like the Ramones. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, what did the Ramones like? Oh, they like the Beach Boys. Well, who did the Beach Boys like? Oh, they liked, you know, Buddy uh, Buddy Holly. You know what I mean? So I would go down that route. And, and you, you, so, like, right now I've been writing a book on creativity, and this is, like, the mark they say of highly creative people is this is, like, the habit that you do is you go down oh, the yeah. family tree of yeah. inspiration. Yeah. And I think I think it's so essential. You know where you are, but you don't know how you got there. I I want to see the adventure. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to see that. And like, even on that subject, if you want to drill down even more, is like right now I'm like studying Bach, and like I've gone back to like you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm nice. studying orchestration because you know I find it really intriguing and really interesting. So wow, it's, that's pretty yeah, rad. I, I don't know about rad, so- but. <laughs> Well, no, but I mean, I, I think it's a very cool thing for people who are doing a lot of rock work. When you have that greater understanding, like the people I know who know the most understanding of orchestra, like w- some of the best advice, actually, I guess it was on the episode we aired this week is like Alan Douches once said to me, he's like, you know, knowing piano, you get to know oh, yeah. so much more. And if you know orchestration and composition and all that stuff, you know so much more about 
how music's working mm-hmm. and how all this is and how to fix certain problems. And I think you, investigating that really can make a oh, huge, absolutely. huge difference in your development as an artist. Oh, I agree. I mean, I can recall a situation right now that I was uh, mm-hmm. producing uh, a Ludo record with uh, Matt Wallace and uh, mm-hmm. the band ran into a problem and they were like, we don't know what to do for the bridge. And I, and I said, well, let me, mm-hmm. let me see what you got. So they kept playing it and I, you know, like eventually once you start to learn a lot, or at least for me, I start to see mm-hmm. it, right? Like I literally visually see mm-hmm. what the song kind of wants to do. I played in this bridge that I came up with and they were like, oh yeah, the guitar player was like, how'd you come up with that? And I was like, oh, because I was just playing around the tonal center of C, even though this isn't in C, but mm-hmm. just because I know enough, right, you know how to solve the problem. It doesn't, and, and I think a lm- lot of people think like it, 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 uh, um, almost like pulls back on your artistry if anything it like liberates yes. you more because you're like you see more possibility I, I i think there's a balance of it is is that sometimes you get these people who they've learned theory and they think so much about this is mm-hmm. technically right and then they stop listening and oh, feeling I, yeah. music whereas what you have to do when you're a person who knows theory is you still have to emotionally react to what's happening not just go this is technically good i inputted exactly. the numbers no, you're, into you're the 100% computer. right like ever i always say that like whenever <laughs> this kind of leads on on a little tangent but mm-hmm. whenever bands uh you know contact me and they want to work with me they're like so do you want me to send you demos a couple weeks before we start and i'm like no don't send me anything because i don't mm-hmm. want to think about it i want to react to it because music sh- should be a reaction mm-hmm. right it's emotional you don't sit uh-huh. there and somebody punches you in the face. You don't go, okay, let me think about how I'm supposed to feel. You know what I mean? You're going to be pissed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I, like so I don't want to hear a demo and think about it because then I'm going to be analytical and it's not going to be a, a guttural reaction where uh, what I like to do is listen to the demo, have my gut feeling, put it down and tweak it from there because at least that initial emotional response happened. It's so hard for bands to hear that because, like, I have the thing of, I'm like, I say, sure, give me the demos, but then I only listen Mm -hmm. one to two times, and then I try to do it weeks before we do, so I don't even remember what I heard, but I just write down my first reactions as fast as I can because you're exactly right, but bands want to think... It's a sad disconnect for musicians because I think that it's hard to hear that you're not going to sit up listening right. to those demos all day, but that's the worst thing you oh, can do. Oh, I know, and, and I have to explain that to him. Uh, I have to say it's not that I don't mm-hmm. care. It's because I care that I don't want to do that, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. I, I think that that is is that thing of like, you know, if you are married to the demo, we've lost our place as being objective and that's what they already have and that's what we're here to be and and you know i'm sure you've run into that situation i'm sure a million people have is they have these band you know you'll have a band and they'll come in and they'll say hey you know do your thing and then you do your thing and they're like yeah but we like our demo and then you kind of go like well then Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) why did you yeah why (laughs) why am i here you know that's okay Mm -hmm. that's their that's like uh you know the things that they have to deal with you know they're not uh, the way I see it is like they're not mature enough to to handle criticism, or their egos are so inflated that uh, it's uh, you know that it's blocking their ears. So, or yeah, you've just gotten so used to the way something sounds that it's hard to do. I th- think that uh, to me, the biggest thing with th- demoitis is a lot of 
the time is, is, is it really is just like you aren't experienced enough in revising things. And I know for me, I actually can say this is like, I was somebody who was very inexperienced at revising things as a teenager. Cause I hadn't had enough practice and I would get that way. It's like the first time we recorded, it was always the thing. Cause I would go home and listen to it 30 times before the next time we did it. And then if it didn't sound exactly like that, it wasn't I was right. freaking yeah. out. I get that. Yeah, for sure. I think everybody goes through that. And you know, I think that's the sign of a mature, mature artist or a mature person and really in anything is is you're able to edit yourself and you understand that you know things don't have to be the first way right that just might be the Mm -hmm. uh, a way you know so i i think sadly that takes some practice creating so 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 it is it is a tough one but um okay let's get back Get me from you playing and dissecting records with your cover band to how you start producing and working in a studio. Well, actually, it wasn't a cover band. I was, it was, uh, yeah. Okay, so you were just doing no, covers. No, 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 yes. I, I was, I was. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 I misunderstood. No, I was writing original music when I was like 13, and mm. I was listening to records trying mm-hmm. to get those sounds. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah so okay, yeah, I was yes, doing yes, that, yes, okay. and then... Uh, uh, in 1998, I started a band called Nuclear Saturday with a, a dear friend of mine mm-hmm. where I actually played guitar because I was sick of playing drums. Um, <laughs> and we got picked up by Vagrant for like a couple months. I know that sounds crazy, but they signed us. Uh, we were on the sampler release called Five Years on the Street. Yes, yeah, I, I it sold that like a, I mean a ton of copies. Like Blink One Eighty Two was on it, and all this stuff. And then they dropped us, which is you know kind of jarring when you right when you sign a deal. But mm-hmm. they dropped us, which was fine. Uh, and then we kind of did our own thing for a while. I was recording all of our stuff, and at that time, a lot of the local bands started to come to me and ask me if I would record their band because the recordings I were doing uh, or I was doing sounded better than the local recording studios that were in their price range. So I was, of course I said, yes, I, you know, I'm flattered that you would have me mm-hmm. do that. So I started recording those bands and then those bands started getting record deals. So then I just started producing and then, you know, like anything, it's just word of mouth and, you know, you hope you do a good job and you make some cool records and people, you know, like it. Nice. So tell me now, I just said you, so you were initially in Chicago and now you're in New York. Can you tell me about your studio and what you, uh, your studio setup's been like? Sure. So I used to have a studio, uh, like a, well, it was always kind of in an apartment or in uh, not like a studio build out. I always liked the environment mm-hmm. of just kind of like hanging out and recording whenever you want. So uh, mm-hmm. I didn't like the pressure of like the clock. So I would almost always just rent out studios for drums and then do everything else in my apartment or in my little studio area of my apartment. It's always been like that. I used to have mountains and mountains and mountains of gear, and I've sold it all because, unfor- you know, I hmm. mean, it, it is what it is. Like, it's cool to have all that stuff. I, I actually had a, a 33609 that was serial number oh, wow. three. To give you an idea of how much stuff and how into it I was. I sold it because plugins sound great. And, you know, when a band calls and goes, hey, I need a vocals up mix or I need you to do a revision, you know, people don't realize, oh, well, that's going to be a day because I got to set up all my gear again. (laughs) 
<laughs> for your mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's just not worth it anymore. And, and you know what? To me, I don't really hear that big of a difference between gear mm-hmm. and plugins. Really? I mean, they're really good now. They're really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, 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 I had a very similar thing of when people like are like, I saw this picture of you had all this stuff, and I'm yeah. like, mm, yeah, no. exactly. <laughs> I don't need I don't need a lot of it anymore. I mean, I still have some stuff, but I have what I feel like I need, not what I feel like I, you know, spent so much money so I have to use this thing. And I mean, I mean, my old studio, well, I guess one of my studios that people might think is kind of fun and cool is uh with Sound City. So Oh wow. Yeah, so I I lived in Los Angeles for a, for a hot minute for a while. Um I was just making records out there so often that it didn't make sense for me to just go out there and come back and go out there. So uh, Matt Wallace, who I mentioned earlier, was kind of a, a mm-hmm. good, very dear friend. Well, could you could you familiarize sure. people with uh, sure. Matt, Matt Wallace? Yeah, Matt work? Wallace yeah. uh, produced songs about Jane by Maroon Five, Faith No More, Train, REM. I mean, like yeah. you know, uh, laundry list. Uh, and to boot, yeah. he's probably one of the most amazing people you'll ever meet in your life. S- Nice. Uh, yeah, Angel Dust is one of my favorite recordings. Oh man, ever, you should so. talk to him about that. Uh, I, you know what? I'll I'll talk to him see if he, he'll do a a show or whatever. Yeah, awesome. But uh, anyways, uh, so Matt Matt actually told me he was like, uh, you know, you're way too talented to stay in Chicago. You should move to Los Angeles. So I moved to Los Angeles, and his studio was at Sound City, and he basically helped me get a spot with him, or next to him rather. So we literally were in Sound City until it closed. Uh, yeah, we we oh, wow. watched Dave Grohl take the console out of the out of the yeah, it was, wow. it was crazy. But um, yeah, so you know, I had a lot of stuff there, and Wallace and I would share a lot of stuff. You know, you have Sound City's console, which is world famous. Um, you know that mm-hmm. that's an eighty twenty eight Neve console, and there's mm-hmm. th- I think there's three in the whole world, and I've worked on two of them. Wow, uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. It's the other ones at Grandmaster Studios in Los Angeles. Yep, that's a that's, that's, uh, I, I just mixed something done done oh, there man. two weeks did, ago. Did uh, the drum room is incredible. I would love that drum room. Yeah, uh, s- sadly they used a uh, electronic oh, of drum course. set. You know, that, that, <laughs> that's what you got to do. You know, of course. <laughs> so it, everything else yeah, sounded great. That's a great though. studio. Stevie Wonder, I think, had a lot to do with that studio, but I don't know. I think you're. I think think you are correct. It was funny. Like even the guy who the guy who gave me the tracks was as old oh, as my wow. father. Wow. It was like okay, that's pretty cool to see somebody who's like been yeah. around that long doing it yeah. and everything. So it was, it was that's something. cool. Wow. Yeah. No, that that studio yeah. uh, was cool. Uh, that uh, you know, I worked there whenever I wanted that. Uh, so what, whatever I tell bands is think of uh, the color and the shape by the Foo Fighters, and then picture the uh-huh. uh, hero drum sound, and that's that's where they recorded mm-hmm. that record. And uh, if yep. you want that drum sound, you go there to get that sound because you set up a drum kit and you play it, that beat, and it sounds just like that. <laughs> That's yeah. so So uh, that wasn't my home base. The home base was, uh, you know, Sound City, which, of course, you know, Nirvana's Nevermind and countless other records were mm-hmm. recorded there. But um, so I, I was in Los Angeles for a long time. Uh, Brett Gerwitz uh, actually is a good friend of mine. I, I do, a, I've done a lot of records mm-hmm. for Epitaph and he offered to manage me for a while. So when I was out there, he was managing me and, you know, it was great. 
and you know that's where I did Weezer, and uh, I worked on Social Distortion and Bad Religion, mm-hmm. and all these these amazing artists that I grew up listening to. And then uh, basically, my wife, Los Angeles, is a very well. You sort of exist in a car when you live there. So yes, so my, yes, yes. My that, wife. That, that was my least favorite thing oh, part of, course, of living of course, there. Same with me. And my wife was just you know basically like, I can't do this anymore. And, you know, it's more important to me to have her in my life than, you know, living in Los Angeles. So we decided to move back to Chicago. So we moved back there. And then we've always wanted to live in New York. So then we eventually moved here. But, uh, yeah. So as far as studio goes, I go to studios wherever we can afford it and wherever they want to go. Or, you know, do whatever we can in my apartment to keep it cheap. Nice. So... We have this thing that we like to say in the podcast is, so there's Steve Albini, who is going to get you great sounds, but really isn't going to get involved in your songs, really not going to tell you anything aside from like what he thought of a take. And then you have like a John Feldman who fully rewrites your songs for you. Where do you see yourself on that spectrum in most projects? So I think I am on the complete spectrum because it really depends on the artist mm-hmm. and the songs. And um, I think... You know, for me, my production standpoint is if they need a lot of help and they're open to a lot of help, then I'm gonna, you know, if you, for for lack of a better way to say it, John Feldman them, right? And then if they're an amazing band and your job is to capture their lightning in a bottle, like if you know you had Green Day or Bad Religion, right? You're not gonna like tell them what to do. You know, you're not going to tell Brooks Wackerman yes. to like, or he's no longer with the band, but you know, you're not going to be like, Hey, hit the drums better. Yeah. You're going to, you know, you're going to go, <laughs> yeah, Hey, yeah, go yeah, play totally. your drums and let me, let me make sure that I can capture you because that's what you are. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what the band is. So I think I fall on the whole thing is like, I, I analyze what, what kind of artist I have and, and, you know, younger ones, of course, probably you need to be more of a John Feldman, but um, you know, you get the bands that, holy shit, that's your sound. Your sound is you. So let's just capture you. Mm-hmm. And then you have bands that you're like, oh, okay, we need uh, we need a little help here. So let's get together and put our heads together and come up with something amazing. I, I think that's a great way of putting it. What do you see yourself bringing to records most often? Uh, sandwiches, ham sandwiches a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, I am very honest and I'm very black and white. I don't, you know, I don't do the gray area thing very well. So um, I think I bring a lot of reality checks. So, so, so explain what you mean by not doing the gray so area thing So I don't candy coat well. things. Like if you came up to me and you said, uh, hey, Mark, uh, I, I, made, I made this pizza and I, and I would love to know what you think. And I ate the pizza, and I, I wouldn't be like, oh, it's 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 good. You know, is this your first pizza? It's really good for your first pizza, right? I'd be like, I if I didn't like it, I would say, I don't know. It's probably not, a, you know, it's not very good. You should probably go back to the drawing board. Uh, so I don't do the gray area thing. I either say, yeah, man, this is really great, and we can we can work with this, and uh, but this part sucks, and you just got to accept it, and we got to work on it. So I don't, you know, I don't try to like go, well, what do you think? And, and, and what do you think? Because I, f- I feel yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, people that are not people, but th- when that happens, nothing gets accomplished um, because nobody's taking charge, you know, and it doesn't have to be me. I don't care if it's a singer or the drummer or whoever, but somebody's got to go, I have a vision and that vision needs to be complete. 
But if 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 that vision is just very uh, clouded, like you're going to get this, you know, one foot in the pool, one foot out of the pool, you know. <laughs> I, I like that a lot. That's a really the things great way that of I think it. of when this conversation is. I get a lot of bands now um, that you know, of course, used to be in like like hardcore bands or, or or like tougher, heavier bands. Now, of course, pop music is big, so they don't want to be they don't want to be what they started out as. They want to be a pop mm-hmm. band, so. They come to me and they're like, well, we want to be really, really heavy, but we want to be really, really commercial. Like, we want to compete with Taylor Swift. And I go, well, you know, and I go, <laughs> well, here's your reality check. Like, if, you, and I say this, I, I actually, last night, I had the same conversation with somebody. I said, okay, let's do this. You have, I don't care, you can pick any amount of money. Let's just say it's all the money you have, right? So let's say it's 10 bucks. You have $10 to mm-hmm. invest in a band, and you have a band that is really heavy that also has a sort of pop sensibility okay and then you have taylor swift because i don't i don't believe in well you know they don't we don't have all the money we don't have all this no if you want to compete with Mm -hmm. that you have to compete with it like sonically and your songs Mm -hmm. have to be like that and and you have this money right so where would you put your money honestly and everybody always says i'd put it on taylor swift and then I go, well, that's your reality check. Like, what do you want to do? Do you want to be a hardcore band or do you want to be a pop band? Because if you're a hardcore pop band, you're going to be too hardcore for the pop kids and you're going to be too pop for the hardcore kids and nothing will sell. So you have to make a decision. I think I think that is a very, very common thing. And the doing the miscegenation thing is one of the most difficult things to do of where you are still able to appeal to both sides of that. It is yeah, so and, rare. And, and the rarity where the rarity like that happens that I find is that the music is so unique. It is kind of like mm. what like like Muse comes to mind. Like Muse can do anything, mm-hmm. not not because they go, I want to make a pop record. I want to do this. It's because they're so talented and they're so just like, they're the only thing that sounds like that, that that's the reason why they can do it. So, you know, that, uh, and I think that's where this gets me on another topic is like, I I say this to Mm -hmm. like artists all the time that I work with because they'll come in and, you know, say like, I love Fall Out Boy or I love this. And, and, and they really wear their influences on their sleeve. And you're like, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Like, I, I'm totally glad that you are so passionate about, you know, this, this band that gives you energy to, to do it. However, do you want to be you too? Or do you want to be the band that sounds like you too? You know, nobody wants to be the mm-hmm. band that sounds like you too. You want to be you too. And you too got to be you too because they took chances and, you know, they were this like post punk band and then the edge slapped delay guitars on it and they worked with Brian Eno. So it's like they did, they wanted to be a punk band just like the police. But what happened was they mm-hmm. did it in their own way and they mixed all these other genres and other styles and they're really accomplished musicians, which is really good. And they created this new thing that that's why those bands stick out and that's why they only sound like them and that's why everybody compares them to them is because they are unique and they can do whatever they want because they're so unique, if that makes sense. Hopefully it wasn't rambling. No, I, I, I'm a hundred percent with you. And I think sadly, like some of that even comes down to just that, you know, a lot of time people get obsessed with that one influence, but if you really dig it out of them, they actually have tons of other influences. They just need to stop being so Asperger's about that one influence. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And, and, and realize that they do like other music. Like another thing is like, do you want to make a record? Right. I, I, I always get really bored 
in rec when I'm, if I'm making a record and, and this scenario pops up, which happens a lot, is you're writing one song ten ways. You're not making a record. You know, mm-hmm. you could ch- change the song, or excuse me, the take take it all, put it in the same key, put the melodies over the other songs, and it's the same song ten ways. You know, you want to make ten completely original, different kind of songs for a record, in my opinion. Yes, I think that that, that is p- pleasing to, to most of us and what most of us uh, do crave hearing. At the same time, some pop punk kids would might disagree. Oh, I, I totally, yeah, I know. I Trust yeah. me, I talk to them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Absolutely. So what's a common mistake you see bands do before getting to the studio? Being completely married to what they've already got. Wait, uh, let, me re- um, let me, can I rephrase your question? Uh, working with a producer... Right, not going to the studio because you can go to the studio and just go record. But if if you're coming to the studio to work with a producer, is you're so married to your ideas that you know you might be throwing a lot of money away where you could probably just hire a mixer and record it somewhere else. I think that that is a great point, actually, and especially the, these days. Uh, what's a smart thing you see bands do during the recording process? I don't care what it what we're making as long as it's amazing. I, I I think that's a good philosophy too. Um, what happens when you and a band disagree about something? I always state my opinion, and then I say mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I I'm not going to listen to this record. You know, this is your record. This mm-hmm. is Mark McCluskey's record. These are my opinions. If you want to listen to them, by all means, let's explore them. If you don't, that's fine. It's your it's your record. You know, I, I'm here to, to make what you want. I'm not here to make what I want. So that's kind of the way I, I handle disagreements. You got it. So here's a few questions about some of the modern production things. Do amp simulators have a role in your production? Absolutely. Of course. Yeah. Uh, how about sample drums? Oh, yeah. I mean, shit. Yeah, they've been sampling drums since like the <laughs> 70s. I mean, yeah, of course. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Pitch correction? Uh, yeah. Did I of cut course. Up? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you master your own records? I, I, I don't I don't like to. I, I, I will if I have to, but I really don't like to. It's just it's like too much me, you know what I mean? Like I'm recording the thing, I'm mixing the thing, like, geez, you want me to master it too? Like, God, there's no outside perspective here. Like I need a checks and balances and mm-hmm. I can't you know, do that to myself. Like, just like how you hired me to be your checks and balances, I need that guy, you know? Uh, agreed. So he, I, I, I'm trying out a new question here. Well, we've been doing a lot of these okay. over and over again. Uh, so, so you could bail out of this one okay. if you don't like it. What's something you believe that everyone else thinks you're crazy to think? What do I believe? That everybody else thinks you're not right about or thinks you're crazy for believing. I always, it goes back to like pushing the artists and I'll, uh, I'll always ask them, you know, where do you come from? Like, what are your influence? What bands do you love? And they'll say things like, um, you know, I, I'm trying to think of an example. Uh, I don't know. This is kind of a made up example, but like, let's say a band go- comes mm-hmm. in and goes, I love Let Live or some, some hardcore band, right? Mm-hmm. And I love some other really heavy, heavy band that they're into. And then when they were a kid, they listened to like, Backstreet Boys or, or, or something, right? Something mm-hmm. on the opposite side of the spectrum. And then I'll go, well, why don't you incorporate that into your sound? Because clearly you like it. And then some mm-hmm. people will be like, because it doesn't work. You know? <laughs> and you're like, well, mm-hmm. well, let's just find a way to make it work. But I, I don't know if that makes me crazy. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. I, I don't think that does. I think that's actually very logical. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have a good answer for that question. 
How long do you like to take to work on a song usually? Uh, as long as it takes. I tell every I tell every band. Okay, how how long on average does it take to track a song, and how long on average does it take to mix a song? Oh, mixing. If you had to take take the best case uh, usual case scenario of tracking, then usual case. So of I mixing. don't I don't do the the like twelve hour fourteen hour day thing. Uh, I find that to be mm-hmm. very counterproductive. So uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I probably take a little bit longer than people that do that. So I'm like three days a song, two days a song uh, mm-hmm. to track it. And then mixing, if, if, if uh, I'm producing the project, you know, like, I kind of have a vision for it, so I'm kind of mixing as I go. So, you know, by the end, a- after we finished on the third day, maybe the fourth day, it's like a couple tweaks, and then it's done. Mm-hmm. If I'm mixing a song from scratch, like, I don't know the material, I just got it, you know, uh, delivered, mm-hmm. my initial mix will probably be four hours, five hours. And then after mm-hmm. that, it's like, you know, like the, the tweaks back and forth from the band. And then, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so probably in all, eight hours to mix a song. Cool. What's a good lesson you've learned from another producer? Oh, my God. Jeez, so many. Matt Wallace and Brett Gerwitz, you know, Joe Barisi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, two amazing, amazing yeah, producers. I mean, uh, from Matt Wallace, I really learned a lot about how to pull what you're looking for. So kind of, I guess the best way to say it is how do you make someone do what you want them to do, but you make them think they came up with it. So mm-hmm. I kind of learned how to do that from Matt Wallace a little bit. And then from Brett, I learned a lot of patience because mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm pretty good at, you know, instruments, we'll say. And mm-hmm. I, always, mm-hmm. I have a tendency to be like, let me just do it. Let me just do it so we can get it done. Mm-hmm. Brett. I remember we were recording Let Live and Brett looked at me and I was like, do you want me to do it? And I, he was like, no, you, no, you let them play their songs. You know, <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. he's right. So, um, yeah, I mean. No, I like that a lot. That, uh, that, and that is a good lesson is that I think a lot of people starting out, that is the tendency is like, let's just get this done. We don't yeah. have a lot of time. And then some bands are the type of band that you're, it's like, you know, you got to let them yeah. be them. And, 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 and don't get me wrong. I am notorious for, Taking the hand, uh, taking a guitar out of somebody's hand, and, and just being like, "No, it's got to sound like this," you know. <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. you know, patience is a good thing, and I, I'm still learning how to do that. Yeah. Tell me one of the best moments you've had in the studio. Oh boy. Oh, I mean, this is kind of cool. I was recording at Sound City. I was doing a Ludo record, and Mike Clink showed up, who produced a- yeah, Appetite oh, wow. for Destruction, yeah. and then we just kind of hung out. And then another time. Uh, I, uh, so I had, a, my studio was like, basically sound city is like a horseshoe and m- my mm-hmm. studio was across the parking lot. So it's probably like, I don't even know, 200 feet or something like that to like where the main drum room is. And they had a Coke machine in there. So mm-hmm. I walked across the street to go buy a soda and I walk in the room and it was Bob Rock sitting with Bush. <laughs> and I was like, what? Oh, wow. <laughs> the hell is Bob Rock doing here? And I was, I just looked at him and I held up change. And he was like, yeah, go ahead, get a Coke. I was like, all right, cool. But yeah, it's funny. <laughs> Those are pretty fun. What's one of the worst moments you've had and what did you learn from oh, it? Oh, man. I'm like sort of obsessed with snare sounds, like, like every producer mm-hmm. does. And uh, I mm-hmm. remember, man, this drummer was not hitting the drum right. Like... You know, it drums sound like the player. You can't, you know, mm-hmm. you, you and I could sit down and Josh Freeze could sit down 
all at a at a at a yeah. kit. And the same kit, same mics, nothing's different, and we'll all play it, and Josh Freeze is going to make him sing. And Yeah, the first time I was ever in a room hearing him play in a f- studio, I, like, really yeah, could not his, believe it. Like, yeah, it's just, it sounds it's like unreal. samples. Like, he sa- like, his playing mm-hmm. sounds like samples. And uh, mm-hmm. so um, this guy was uh, playing the drums, and he just was not hitting the drum right. And I kept, like, I mean hours i was like no you gotta hit the drum like this you gotta hit the snare like this and he just wasn't and i just i mean i had to leave i got so frustrated yeah hmm like i said i am not i i i i'm still learning to practice patience <laughs> gotcha so, so 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 the lesson from this though was oh for oh the i i, I was supposed to learn a lesson from that well yeah so i said one of the worst moments of what, oh, you learned what i've from learned it. from it oh shit I, I mean, mm. I still haven't learned from that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if okay. I have a worst in learning. I'm not a very uh, smart guy. I'm not smart enough to learn from my mistakes. Oh, you sa- sound like you've been pretty no, smart on this you. podcast. But uh, tell me about a record you did that changed your life. Uh, I mean, I keep going back to Ludo, but I really like those guys. It's a bu- uh, We're all like the same age, and I'm, I'm genuinely a fan of their music. And, I mean, that, that changed a lot for me because you know it was on island def jam it was my first major label record i went to la to do it It, we recorded it in sound city i met matt wallace you know we co-produced it was like that whole thing just changed kind of had a paradigm shift for me it was very uh wow we can do this oh my god we have the budget where we can we can go to a (laughs) we actually did this we went to a studio that only had keyboards and pianos that was it and we were just like we're gonna play and i'm I'm like a tom waits fan and i -hmm. remember i was sitting in the room and we were doing the song and i really wanted this really kind of creepy tom waits kind of unsettling sound and there's these things called an octagon. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 totally. So I asked him, and I, I, I was like, I'm going to throw it out there. I, he probably, like, nobody has these things. Like, if you have them. Yeah. I always place I've ever heard is, like, that Blur Report yeah, team yeah. record. Like, nobody has these things. And I go, hey, you guys got an octagon? And he's like, yes. And I was like, do you actually have the <laughs> wow. light, uh, the uh, you know, like, the light? Yeah, the, light, like a light the light disc, disc or something. It's so still weird. work. That's even the harder part. And he was like, "Yeah, I've got a whole bunch mm-hmm. of them." So we ended up using it and recording wow. it and putting it on the record. So that was really cool. That's awesome. And so for people who don't know, this is like we could maybe call it like the third generation of what a yeah, melodrama yeah, is supposed yeah. to be in the sampler thing. Like before samplers existed, this was kind of like trying to make that happen, but not doing yeah. the best job of it. And so it has a really yeah, unique and the, and the records would warp and they would, that's how they get that war, war that warbly sound. They're so cool. Mm-hmm. They're so cool. So tell me about a perfect record. Someone else has made and what makes that oh, record wow. perfect. Perfection has so many different facets. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, so is there a favorite record that you have, like one in your top five and something that you really admire about it? Man, like Joshua Tree, you know, mm-hmm. there's so many. And then I think like, oh man, Muse, like there's so many. It's it's such a hard question to answer because... Well, the next one we have is five records in your musical growth. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe that yeah, one yeah, helped, yeah. will help us get to so the one. I, I can answer this with... A life-changing record for me would be Green Day's Dookie mm-hmm. for sure. Like when I heard that, okay. it was just like it appealed to me so much because mm-hmm. I was a hyperactive skateboarder kid. 
that listen to like you know mm-hmm. the descendants and black flag and you know all these you know the misfits like old misfits like you know and then mm-hmm. that record came out and it was like really energetic and snotty and assholeish and it's just spoke to me and just the mm-hmm. sounds on that record are incredible um yeah and to think that also like that's like jerry finn yeah first right big record yeah i mean it's insane yeah it's insane, insane. like yeah, that guy. Yeah, God, I wish he was still alive. Yeah, the king. I, I, I know. I, every year, I have like a couple days where I just go through his discography yeah. again and just get blown away yep. another yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, he mixed it. Uh, Rob Cavallo produced it. It was they did it in Ocean Way in like three days. You know, everything about it is like what a rock record, like a raw, you know, just a band should be. You know, that's that's kind of encapsulates that whole idea to me to me so let's do five records in your musical growth tell me about five of the favorite ones that come to mind uh as you've grown through the years so it has to be albums uh, it can be it a composition be so uh rhapsody in blue by gershwin uh is very mm-hmm. influential to me i think queen like their whole catalog mm-hmm. is very very yeah, yeah i mean Amazing i love stuff. theatrical music I would say Little mm-hmm. Shop of Horrors has a very, very big oh. influence on me. Alan Menken is one of my favorite songwriters of all time. I, m- one of my first paid gigs in sound was uh, in high school. I made sound effects for Little Shop of Horrors, and then a guy bought them from me and would send me a royalty check for about eight years when he'd sell them amazing. to other high that's schools. That's great. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Pretty sound funny. designing at a very young age, that's great. <laughs> Man, these questions are so hard because I, I, I keep because it's like I think you too, I think Coldplay, I think mm-hmm. uh, oh geez, the Talking Heads, mm-hmm. the Ramones. I mean, there's I, I can't. It's like I can't answer the top five because because there's Go top on. fives and so many subcategories. Because it's like, what am I going for? Aggression? What am I going for? You know, like pulling in my heartstrings. You know, uh, so I like that though. That, that shows a lot though uh, about your depth of music. So. What's your most recent favorite record and what's inspired you about it? You know, I've been listening to the, the a lot, actually, is uh, the Captain America, not Winter Soldier, the first one, score. And I think mm-hmm. Alan Silvestri, hmm. or Silvestri, or however you say his last name. Yeah, yeah I think it's Silvestri, uh, yeah. did a, a really, really great job on that. Nice. That is a unique answer. <laughs> what have you been working on lately? Uh, I did Motion City Soundtrack, mixed that. Oh yeah, Thank that you. sounded Thank great. You. I heard that. that I mean, they're such fantastic. a good band. It's that's one of those things. It's like I'm not gonna mess. Like as a mixer, you know, you can still mess with stuff pretty good. Like I, I'm not gonna mess with you. You guys are such a good band. Like let's just make you sound like you. So that yeah, that that whole approach was like okay, you guys are rocking. Let's just make you rock as hard as we can. And then uh, Punchline's new album, I really like that a lot um, mm-hmm. because we kind of, that was one of those ideal situations for me where we all, me, Chris, and Steve kind of sat in a room and we looked at each other and we were like, I don't really care what we make, let's just make something awesome. So <laughs> we, mm. we had a lot of fun. Nice. You know, it's got, it's got electronic drums, it's got real drums, it's got rock and roll, it's got pop like 80s pop it's got it's got like a hip-hop kanye-esque song on there i mean we Mm. really literally it's a song for song record like we just wanted to make something really cool and unique and i i think we did i i i'm really proud of that record i really like that one a lot (laughs) 
If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet, that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook, share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Jesse Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going. 